bottom of the smash mountain i would like to thank my supporters over at patreon.com slash bsm pod for continuing to, to support me and what i'm doing Done this intro a bunch of times so it doesn't matter i'll still trip over it it's all good i'm also happy for all the listeners and viewers for joining us for today's episode in which we're going to be talking to frost the firmware developer of the fob controller so this is one of the new wave things in the melee community and i'm really excited to learn more about this controller frost is a obviously a great choice for that but also very willing to come on which i very much appreciate and so frost how you doing uh, how are you uh cypher everything on my side is good uh just here and ready to get, get ready into this interview very good is it would you say this is your first time that someone has said what you're doing is so cool that i want to interview for about an hour or so and as compared to like a quote or maybe perhaps uh an online website kind of a deal have you done this before I have not done this before, so this is really cool to me. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that because I get to say the first interview for Frost. That's cool. I think you should definitely, and and Bobos as well, shout out. So I was just learning before we started officially recording here that that is the person who originally came up with this concept, and I'd love to get into that in just a second. But with the FOB controller being as popular as it already is, just being a new alternative way to use a GCC controller, I'm referring to a GameCube controller when I say that, by the way, but this is one of those new wave things. Uh, Melee community loves hearing about this kind of stuff in detail and a very nice active Discord for the FOB controller enthusiasts. Shout outs to Hoborg. I did not know where Hoborg lives. Hoborg lives in the FOB controller Discord. That's where you can find him. <laughs> but uh, Hoborg yeah. is a friend of the program, so it's cool to see. And, and is also trying to like build a few of these himself. So it's really cool to see FOB kind of making a name out there as an as a new controller method i'm just interested to hear from you about how you get involved in all of that but i guess do you want to talk about a little bit how you got into melee first or do you want to skip that and go straight to the controller um we can we can start with a few of the introductory questions first on how i got into melee very good so did you grow up with the game did you have siblings that would play uh, that was how I... it was, sort of was for me I did not. I am I am Generation Z Zoomer, so I did not grow up with Melee. I grew up with Brawl. I got into Melee from one of the documentaries, uh, There Will Never Ever Be Another Player Like Hungrybox from Implemen. Yes. I watched that during the pandemic, and then that got me into the game a few months down the line. I, I'm very thankful for Slippy that gave me the opportunity to join in at this time, and that's where the ball got rolling. Uh, a few months later... I got really, really interested in controllers, and more specifically, the digital controllers, the rectangles. Because I play Ice Climbers, and there is a set of inputs that the Ice Climbers can do on a digital controller that are nearly impossible on a standard analog stick gameplay controller. These are known as the sensitivity desyncs, where they're value-perfect coordinates where the ICs do weird jank. You know, this can be one does a smash attack, or one does one aerial, one does another aerial. And... In around November of last year is when I finally got into it, and I actually ended up building my own DIY box to experiment with that. And that's what really got my feet into the whole controller space. Oh, that's cool to hear that 
there's 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 a lot of different ways to go when you join into melee you can be a competitor you can be a content creator like myself if you want to call me that but you get it and then you have the stream monsters the people who also like melee stats who just love 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 categorizing things within melee and ranks and everything else like that there's so many different ways to enjoy the game but one of my favorite videos about melee is by seth loves to talk who did a video about artwork of controllers i don't as far as I remember, I don't even think that he was able to get so much into like the modification of GCCs so much as how artwork has really started to take off for how people like to see what their controllers are in their hands and doing all kinds of like light up stuff, this, that, and the third. It's, it's a really fun video. I wanted to ask you about the Emp Lemon documentary for just a second because I've heard this a few times now. It's sort of like the, the Emp Lemon kids, if you will people who watch that video about Hungrybox and go, okay, this is cool. I'll, I'll give this a shot. I'm just, I'm just wondering what was, what was about it that sort of sold you because did it just come up on your timeline? You get five minutes in and you go, well, I guess I'm watching the rest of this video now because when you first watch it, it's like, oh, I don't want to sit through something like this for an hour and 30 minutes. It's about a video game. Who cares? <laughs> Uh, I was following Emplemon for a little bit of time at that point because I was really curious some of his... Uh, he's Well, he's a YTP creator, so I was yes. following him for primarily that. And then that video came up and I said, this is a long-form content and I'm not sure I'm going to like it. So I sat down for the first five minutes. And five minutes in, you get into the Hungrybox crab story. And once that was told, I was hooked right in. And what eventually got me to really be interested in Melee is the storylines the storylines of the five gods and how effectively over time we saw that era fall. And then what really, really caught my eye at first was the, the what Emplement called the 20XX Foxes in the 2013 to 2015 era, where players focused on getting more technical and more precise. That's where I got my start. I was a Fox player. I wanted to really, you know, push a lot of buttons and be aggressive and fast. And once I actually got into the game, once I started entering a few online tournaments, I realized that, no, this is not the style for me. And I immediately switched uh, six months later to Ice Climbers. I think there's a certain way where if you decide uh, fast and aggressive and going in all the time is not for me, then you sort of naturally say, Lodi, a floaty character might actually be the move for me. When I try to play as Falco, who I feel like is my favorite character to play as in Melee, then I play against another person who plays Falco or Fox properly, or or even as Captain Falcon, I play a heavier, faster character, and I'm just I, I can't move. But if I play as a floaty, just by nature, I go, oh, I have room to think now because I'm so bad in melee that I just need time to think about what exactly I'm going to do. Whereas the people who've been playing for years and years and years, the people who've been playing since 2010, they just do it like it's... They're basically just brushing their teeth except over the course of five or ten minutes completely destroying you in a set whatever it happens to be but if i play as a floaty it's like oh well i have more time to think is that sort of what was happening with you or did you just feel like oh fast and aggressive isn't literally my style i prefer another part of melee that's more appealing than just running in all the time um fast and aggressive wasn't for me but i also did still want to play a character that could be aggressive. I just didn't want to be fast. I wanted a character that could apply a lot of pressure and that could apply a lot of um, a lot of threat in a very very small space. 
So the Ice Climbers and the Punishing Grab game fit that mold perfectly. I actually watched a friend of mine, Durf Midwest, absolutely destroy a university in a crew battle. He sweeped all uh, all 16 of their stocks in a four versus four man crew battle with Ice Climbers. <sighs> and once I saw that, I was like, <laughs> this character can really do stuff. I pulled it out in friendlies a couple times and I just, I fell in love with the character. The ability to just have that little space in front of you that you threaten with absolute death. Yes. is just so appealing because <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can use that as a form of aggression and neutral that really, really drew me to the character. And since we're talking about the Hungry Box documentary a little bit here, that's sort of the idea with Jigglypuff as well, where you have to look for your openings, and once you can get them and convert on them, you're the you are the most dangerous player in the room or at a tournament. Because Hungrybox wants so many tournaments, letting other people sort of play into his style, play into his traps that he sets, the mind games that he does, all that fun stuff. And I love even still like the like watching that documentary just helps to enforce storylines for me and helps to remind me about a lot of like a lot of historical things there there are obviously things that have happened a long time ago pound 2019 was more than three years ago now which is crazy to think it's been three years since the since the crab but i'm thinking nowadays the storylines that we have are a little bit harder to explain to somebody who's new to the game because you can't lead with oh well there's five really good players they're called the five gods and everybody's trying to beat them and they're trying to beat each other they can all they can all challenge each other for best player in the world how would you describe melee to a new person if if i were in an elevator with you and for some reason you got to the part where actually no i'm not here to play the new smash game i'm actually here to play the the old one like how would you describe it to me I'm going to take a moment to think on that. Hmm. The way I would explain Melee to a new viewer at this point with an emphasis on its storylines is it's a game that focus it's a game that rewards fast-paced movement and precision with your with your uh, punishes and combos. And the overall idea is that anyone can beat anyone. Amongst the best of the best players, amongst the most talented, there is no one here that is completely dominant. Anyone can be dethroned, anyone can lose, anyone on the day can just slip up and be upset. And I think that would be very, very appealing because... Um, because people, while people do like to follow villains, you know, a field where absolutely anything can come can come from is also incredibly intriguing in its own. Yeah, I think that having Zane be the person who's trying so hard to get to the dominant player status to be someone who is going to be remembered as a top 10 all-time player or top 5 all-time player, you need to have long periods of of dominance. You don't win two tournaments in a row you win 10 tournaments in a row like that kind of stuff that kind of dominance Zane's trying to get there and I love the idea that even if he's trying to get there he's continually foiled by yet another challenger and that's the part where I got get into the whole anybody can win piece because the other fun storyline recently has been seeing Jay Mook who played for such a long time just didn't get an opportunity like Genesis and Summit most recently to show off yes I, I was just like super cracked with Sheik that's what Jay Mook is apparently what, what, so what shout out to Jay Mook 
what is it with the Sheik players? I mean, during the pandemic, we had Ben come out of like and rise up to challenge Hungry Box at uh, ECF and other online weeklies. It's the Sheik players, man. Yeah, <laughs> and I love I love this the kind of stuff that Ben has. I there was a video that he put up on Twitter recently where he said these are just some throwaways. I was trying to get creative. And I'm like you're trying to extend punishes and reads with the Sheik side B or whips out the chain. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah. shout out to Sheik players. I. And within within months, I've gone from thinking that Sheik is a little bit harder to watch to to being excited when there's a Sheik player on the screen. Yeah, there's been there's been a massive cultural shift surrounding the character. It's been cool to see. But meanwhile, I, I'm interested to hear about this DIY rectangle box style controller that you built. That was your first expedition into the controller sphere, the that yeah. specific faction of the melee community. So you're in Crane's lab, I'm assuming, and you're checking out all these DIYs and you go, well, I want to do that. Or how did it happen for you? So the video from Crane came up on doing a cardboard box DIY. <laughs> yes, the ch- so like the that, cheap one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one came up and that one, it caught my eye saying, hmm, so you can build this controller for very, very cheap and have it work with Melee. And, you know, box controllers have been a curiosity of mine since I picked up the game because there's no analog inputs. It's vastly different than anything I've ever played. I've been primarily a controller player my entire life. With, across all games, across all consoles, I've always had analog sticks. So just using all digital controls to me was just a curiosity. So that video came up. I looked into it. And I said, I want to do this. I want to go out there and build my own. And I'm actually also very, very fortunate that... Um, that I have a makerspace here at my university because I'm a university student that was able to assist me in fabricating everything I needed for the project. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) So yeah, so I actually, they have laser wood laser cutters here where I use to actually cut out the, uh, the face plate, the back plate and all the side inserts. Um, I, they had soldering stations where I soldered up all the buttons and tested everything right there in the makerspace. That's super cool. Would if you... I didn't, if oh, I didn't sorry, have that, ahead. if I didn't have that, building it would have been a vastly different experience. Oh yeah, it probably would have turned out like the controller that Crane was building. Just for instance, like, we're going but, super, yeah, but... super low-level cardboard. <laughs> yeah, here. but no. Instead, mine actually came out really, really nice with uh, with a uh, mahogany gel stain that I put on on the wood itself. I used. Can what? I see this? Do you have it? I have a photo, but okay. <laughs> I can. If you send me a photo, I can sneak this into the overlay. I think. I think that's okay. how we can do it. See, this okay. is one of the cool things for the people who've been listening to the podcast a while. I always talk about how I can't really, you know, do stuff like this, but with my new setup, I should be able to do that pretty, pretty easily. No, no big deal. No big deal. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool to hear about how you have resources at university where before you're watching the video and you go okay uh, i don't have this stuff at home but you're saying oh wait but i got all kinds of st- cool stuff at university yeah, was, so that's I really was, cool here it's really really fortunate that i was that i have this opportunity to just be able to go to a single building and have everything from laser cutters to soldering stations to all that equipment there on hand that i don't really have to pay for mm. it was a massive boon like even when I got started on the fob, it was a massive boon to the project. 
And when you had built that and you're, I'm assuming, is this the first time you've used, you're using a rectangle style controller or did you try one at a tournament or, or from a friend? Like what what was, what what was the first time you actually played on a rectangle? Was it with your build? It was um, the first time I played on a rectangle controller was with my build because it's something that was an idle curiosity for me. And I wanted to see what does, you know, the first question in my mind is what does wave dashing feel like on the box? What does it feel like to physically plink the keys to get a wave dash input? And then, you know, what does it feel like to plink to get other various inputs? And the overall impact of that was consistency. The box is something that if you do the same physical motion, the game will give you the same output. And that's something that stuck out to me as very, very important. And that's something that I saw a massive contrast to GCCs. Because on GCC, doesn't matter how great of a player you are, you are never going to be 100% concise on that analog stick. You are never going to move it to the same place twice. Well, you were talking earlier about how ice climbers, in order to get some fun little jank, you have to put it literally on a board of an analog controller stick for melee where there are so many spots that are registered spots on that on that thing. There are, yeah, there are 20,000 coordinates on melee's input yeah. space. It's insane. And you have to put it on the one. No big deal. It's like if, if Summoning Salt ever does a video on melee, 20,000 coordinates, and you have to put it on this single coordinate. So naturally, all player melee players do this. No, no, melee players can't do that. Oh, no. No, it is. It is. It, you you can you can get reasonably consistent, assuming you have a notch for it, but never a hundred percent. That's so crazy. Uh, yes, and so you're looking at the box. It's like you said, and this is something that I've I recently got a box as well. Shouts to Smokey Smash to shout outs to Eternal Project. Anyway, Smokey helped me get the box style controller, the uh, B Zero XX, the box. And playing that, I'm going, oh, this is nice because I'm not super great at having exact motion for a control stick, but with buttons, I just have to get the rhythm down of when exactly to press the buttons because that's still very important. Frame perfect timing is required for certain things. And so I have a long way to go. Such a long way to go for us, but it it feels doable now. It feels doable to me. It grants you that consistency. Yes. That as long as you push the buttons in the right order at the right frame timings, you will get the right output. Something that cannot normally be done on an analog stick. But still, even despite all of that, we've gotten to, we've gotten you here because we want to talk about the fob controller. And so when you were playing on your build for a little while and continually getting more and more into controllers, when does the fob controller come into your sort of like your space? So I finished building my box in November of 2021, last year. And in January, Phobos, the lead developer of the FOB GCC and the controller's namesake, created a Reddit post, a controller survey, where he wanted to collect the community's thoughts on what controller behavior should be like. And in that Reddit post, he actually linked the GitHub for uh, the FOB GCC. And that's where I initially got my first look at the project. And the moment I saw that Reddit post, I immediately checked Melee Online and any other discords to see, is this guy in here somewhere? 
<laughs> and the moment I found him, I sent him a, I sent him a DM. I sent him a DM saying, "Hey, I'm really interested, really really interested in this project." And early January, like I got in touch with him, and that's where it all began. Oh, that's great. Like, I mean, that's that's literally how I get people onto the podcast. I see somebody posting about the FOB launch trailer, or there's like the the new firmware update. Here's sort of a video, sort of breaking that all down. And I'm watching, and I'm going, "Oh, this is addressing this is addressing one of the bigger, more pivotal <laughs> issues of the GCC controller, which is Pode. That's something that people complain about quite so, a bit. Uh, so, um. Mid-January, I finally order my first set of boards using Phobos' guidance. And by the end of January, I finally have a finished board. The, the famous one from the reveal trailer. Mm. So it took me about 20 days or so to gather all the parts and assemble it. And then I finally had my first uh, FOB GCC at the end of January. This is a 1.0 board. This is the original, the original prototype. And how does, wait, you don't actually have it within a controller right now. Is it just a show off or did you try it's, it at all? It's, it's, it's just a show off. Ah, gotcha. How uh, does it feel? I do, my initial, uh, well, the firmware has, the firmware or the software that actually runs the controller has vastly changed in the past couple months. It oh, is yeah. absolutely unrecognizable. But from my first testing back when we were running 0.15, that was the version, I can already tell this thing was consistent which is what attracted me directly to it, because that's what I remember from the box. That as long as I did a similar enough analog input, the controller just got me most of the way there. Even if it wasn't identical, it just got me most of the way there. Are you ready to explain to me as the person in the room who is not intelligent on such things and tell me what exactly is happening with this whole magnetic field stuff and it's supposed to like there is no pod involved because it's just like it's just not a thing that's the best way for me to explain it but sure. i would love to hear you break it down for me <laughs> actually i am going to get one more thing from my there's another thing for all the people who are listening i'm so sorry for all the listeners who are not watching the video you're missing out on all the posts that i put into the overlay the OG build of the first rectangle build that Frost made and also a render of the current of the current board of the FOB controller. So you might want to watch this episode is what I'm getting yeah. at. <laughs> so um, if you look on the sides of any stick box in a GameCube controller, you will see these black little things that are attached to it. Right? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. These are the potentiometers. So if I unclick this, that is the uh, potentiometer that clicks onto the stick box and measures its, measures its rotation. So on the inside of the potentiometer, there is, it's, there's ba it's basically a variable resistor. So what it is, is it's just measuring, the, it's just changing, it's a wiper that goes on the inside that just scrapes against some material. That's what a, that's what a potentiometer basically is. It's, it's a wiper on the inside that as you turn your stick box, it scrapes against making you know a path shorter or longer but it's scraping right and when two things scrape together they tend to damage each other and as things get damaged this is where pod comes in where you have the potentiometers quite literally deteriorating over time as they're used 
Dude, imagine in Titanic. I'm sorry. Imagine in Titanic, you know how they like scrape against the iceberg and it's like just yeah. imagine like somebody like putting like silence the movie audio, have a control stick clacking around, and it, the video sped up to like match the <laughs> sorry. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. You were saying yeah, so yeah, so potentiometers wear out due to this because there's there's constantly the scraping motion every time you move the stick box. And do that a hundred thousand times over the course of a couple months and it's already in pretty bad shape yes because the more it scrapes the more it's likely to actually lift off the material which causes missed inputs missed dashbacks missed pivots everything and for the average melee player who it can put in so many inputs a minute it's crazy the for all the serious melee players out there you already know what you can do to your average controller when you're using it for tournament like there are people uh, most of the pros they have they have tournament controllers that they try really hard not to use except in tournament because they know i want this to be as close to something that i can expect as possible but then there are other people who say i don't really want to have a tournament controller quote unquote because i want to get used to the one that i'm using and just keep using it until eventually i can't use it anymore and it's just every once in a while you'll have someone like axe poor axe at low tier low tide city excuse me at low tide city earlier this year had a controller problem had to switch off to a new one and you could just tell that because it was different and Axe is so reliable on, or is relying on that consistency and not getting it. It impacted his performance. It's really unfortunate to see stuff yeah. like that happen, but it happens all the time. Yeah. So now we talked about the issue of potentiometers. Now I'm going to get to how the fob fixes that. Mm -hmm. So let me just lift the stick cap off of here. And so if you look at the stick box there, you see something. There's no there, there's no uh, potentiometers. There's no, there's no black little bits attached to it. Yeah. Right. Instead, you have these metal things. They, these, these are the magnets. Mm -hmm. And below them, you can see a small little black thing lifted off the board, can't you? Yes. Yep, I can those, see that. Those are what's known as Hull effect sensors. So Hull effect sensors sense changes in magnetic field direction in order to give out a different reading. So as the stick box here turns, so if I turn this, let me just position this right. You can see the magnet turns. Oh, the magnet turns with the stick. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So as this magnet turns, the magnetic field itself is rotating around and impacting how the sensor is reading it. Yes, but uh, the key thing there is that the Halifax sensors is never touching the magnet. They are exactly. very much separated from... Okay, that's so cool. There are, okay. are two separate pieces that make no contact. And this is why there's no POT. This is why there's no, there, there's no degradation over time, because there's nothing to wear out. If these two things aren't touching, they're not going to wear out. And therein lies the beauty and consistency of the fob. Why weren't we doing this earlier? Because I've heard, I've heard this has been used before. Like, this is not, this is not like a super brand new, like, all of a sudden Halifax sensors are a thing, and now we're using them for GCC controllers. The Sega Dreamcast actually had Hall Effect sensors on its controller. If you believe it, or if you if you believe it or not, like the is that is that the uh, like they were onto something there? Uh, is that the, the inspiration Dreamcast. for for Phobos when it's like looking at the uh, whole Pode situation, being like, uh, "No, we're gonna do Dreamcast, baby." <laughs> no, but that was something that we looked at afterwards, and the big reason why is cost. 
you know, companies have to make money and they have to make these things as cheaply as possible. Potentiometers in batches end up being cheaper than Hall effect sensors and figuring out how to properly mount the magnet. Gotcha. And, uh, well, we all know how video game companies like to do. They like to do things money. cheap. Money, yeah. Money. I, mean, you see, I, mean, I mean, you see PlayStation 5 controllers now drifting. Yeah, so... <sighs> Why? Why does it feel like every single controller out there is just out to get you? And there's there we we understand for the for the serious gamers, you don't even have to be a super super casual. Like even people who play video games with a, the same controller a few times a week will eventually start to notice. Wow, this thing really sucks, huh? Like it, it just doesn't take long for some of these controllers to start being problematic. Yeah, no, it's, it's the choice of stick box. It's the choice of potentiometers that are doomed to fail from the get-go. And the Joy-Con is a whole separate fiasco all on its own. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I actually, I, I actually like, had to tear down my own Joy-Cons to replace the stick boxes, and I decided to open up one of the stick boxes to see the problem, and it's pretty apparent. What's the, um, what's the, what's the problem that you saw? I, I might have missed it. Did you say it already? Uh, no. So oh, the problem the, the, the problem is that um, at, on, at the base of the stick box, there's this graphite pad. And the, uh, there are parts of the stick box that scrape against the graphite pad. And eventually the graphite pad uh, wears away enough that it starts shifting inputs. Oh, I mean, that's just, and that's that just... graphite pad wears out faster than any potentiometer I've seen. Yeah, when I hear graphite, that makes me immediately think that's not sturdy at all. Yeah. Just... But this is this is where uh, this the, the strength of the fob is in its contactless sensors. Mm -hmm. No contact, nowhere. It's that simple. The and only so... thing you'll the only thing you'll eventually have to replace is the stick box when it finally caves in or stops working. So you make your your first fob controller, and you're asking all these kinds of questions to Phobos, I'm sure. But yeah. when does it eventually become that you're saying things that Phobos is going? A word like UK. Well, guess what, Frost? Um, I could have you do some things. Um, actually, it started around mid-February, where I start talking features, where uh, the original user interface for the fob or how you configure things in the controller was um, relied on D-pad inputs, and I was not <laughs> a really big fan of that. And anyone who's used a GameCube controller knows <laughs> that a game that the D-pad is not good. <laughs> oh my gosh yes what? no kidding oh my gosh using the d-pad sorry uh i just everybody puts in bad slippy inputs for chat like oh i didn't mean to say lol i'm sorry well so, I actually i did but anyway the original like like for example the original calibration commands required you to advance the calibration steps with the d-pad and i was saying like how we should do it with the a button because it's a lot more of a consistent input yep <laughs> uh and that was my first uh, suggestion. You know, I decided I'd, I'd look into the code, and then I said, hey, Phobos, I can do this. And then he says, Yes, oh, that's sure. the important thing. A suggestion is yeah. just a suggestion, but you're like, I can actually do this. And Phobos is like, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So he gave me access to the repository, uh, and I made my first PR doing um, adjusting those commands. It was pretty daunting at first, because I'm not a software developer. I'm not a computer science student. I'm a computer engineering student. My ballpark, my avenue is entirely different. It was a pretty daunting task at first, and working in a code base 
that was developed by someone else was a big leap. But I think I made a very, very good landing and I even continued to develop on that. And I also made it so that you would be able to toggle your triggers. So you know how triggers you have the analog portion, and you have the digital portion at the bottom. I made it so that you could disable the analog slider entirely to have only the, only the digital press. Right, which is really, uh, okay, some people are, are, are going to be very uh, interested in that because I, I guess for most Melee players, when you play the game long enough, like it, just, it feels like you have to like plow through snow in order to actually be able to get the input that you want. Meanwhile, yeah. if you just do this, it's like, oh, this is nice. It actually, wow, it doesn't require all that force. Nope. So you could just go straight down to the digital input and you won't get any shield before that. This is this is what people usually take their springs out for. So right. the analog trigger, this is what they take their springs out for, for, primarily for wave dashing and power shielding. And power shielding especially because there's what's called ADT, the analog to digital, to digital transition, where for about two frames or one frame, your character is vulnerable. Oh, and uh, as we know, that's just like everything. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to get shined or hit by some other attack, and you're just going, and why die. is this happening? Oh, it's because of your controller. It's out of, it's, it's out of your hands. And you go, no. <laughs> why? So, my, so drawing from the experience I learned from my box, I wanted to bring consistency to the FOP. And those, those were the first two suggestions I had. And once Phobos saw those, he kind of like brought me on board as a full-time firmware developer. Because Phobos himself wanted to focus primarily on the hardware, primarily on the board design, on the sensors, on this, on that. Yeah, because the C-Stick so, was next. That's something that has since started to come in because originally it was just for the control stick. But of course, yeah. you get people coming in being like, the C-Stick? Or you go, all right, well, <laughs> yeah, but that's not, so, your, that's not your ballpark. That would be more of a Phobos yeah. project. Yes. So I initially started out as the firmware developer and Phobos was handling the hardware. So I was making adjustments to the commands, trying to see how I could improve it. Um, and then we have the entrance of probably the one, one of the most important figures to the project. The man known as Carvacuum or Carvac. Carvac? So Go Carvac wander into the Discord and look around. Oh yeah, Car Carvac is uh, Carvac is uh, does signal processing for work, so he's very very familiar with uh, with the work we were doing, and he started asking Phobos for a set of data to use to create a new filter for the controller. Now what? A, now I'm going to explain in, in basic terms what is a filter. So a filter is basically you take an input waveform. That say like I move my analog stick left and then I let go, and shapes that waveform into an ideal output. So um, if, you, if you want me to provide an image for that, I can. Um... Are you basically saying that? Okay, I picture it as you know how you build a habit. Your brain is literally building neuron pathways, and the more you use a certain mindset action whatever however you want to phrase it in your brain the the more it gets used to it and then the neurons can fire through those pathways faster is this basically that concept applied to a controller basically but it's 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 in use all over technology signal filtering is incredibly important to remove noise it's especially for things like audio equipment ah see this yeah, is something so, that i have no clue about i just like go oh look yeah, the so green go green yellow red yeah so if you look at the uh at that at that graph the blue is the raw signal. That's what these sensors are giving out. 
And then how do you take that signal and how do you perfect it? How do you make it an idealized signal? Well, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to remove snapback, the bane of all melee players. Yep. That's, so when that you was, yep. When you release the stick, it needs to be able to basically dampen itself in software. So if you look, if you look at that graph there, um, you can see the orange and yellow lines have much, much less pronounced uh, oscillations. And that's actually where the snapback dampening is happening. So Yes, I can see that because the raw is yeah. like significantly more crazy as it goes yeah. back. But then... Because Yes. So those, so the raw is the the total the total filter and the um the old and the old filter is what the controller ran on in version 0.15 and the new filter is the filter written by Carvac. Now if you look even closer on this, if you look on the leftmost part of the graph where it's starting to rise, you start to see that the the FOB GCC is a little bit delayed, right? So you have the raw and then you have the two filter delays. Right, yeah, but, they're behind just ever so slightly. Yeah, they're, that's about, I think, about a quarter to about a half of a frame behind. But you see that they're quickly accelerating towards the actual stick position. And in fact, they almost seem to get there at almost the exact same time. It's really in the middle of the input that they're separated by the mode. Yeah, and that is actually very, very, very desirable behavior in Melee. Because so if you look at the analog stick map of melee, you have the tilt zone, which well, well starting from the beginning, you have the dead zone where the right. stick effectively detects no inputs. Yes. Then you have the tilt zone, which is where you get your tilt inputs. And then beyond that, you have the smash zone where you can get smash attacks. And also dash walk for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, the, so walk happens in the tilt zone, dash happens in the smash zone. Or in, where, in fact, you know, Dash Dancing has the name of Smash Turn. So you want to cross the tilt zone as quickly as possible for a lot of Melee's inputs. If you want a Dash Dance to feel great, you want to skip right over the walk zone and go directly to the Dash zone. Hence why the box is a desirable thing, because there is no crossing. The travel time, that one, yeah. of, those, one of those sticky words that people like to throw around. But now if you look at the FOBGC signal behavior, its travel time in the tilt zone is faster. It's accelerating faster to the actual stick position. Right, which is what, which is what a lot of people want because otherwise in the raw input, you can cross into a registered tilt zone or, or what have you. And that's bad because it's going to make you do so, your character do something or prevent you from doing something as fast as you want it to. Yep. So the Carvac filter summed up in, in, two in three words is rise time shortening. It shortens the time. To, That's good, that is, Carvac. <laughs> it shortens the time that is spent in the undesirable tilt zone because that tilt zone ruins everything from your dash dances to your pivots to your, to your SDI as well. That tilt, because if, if you're caught in the tilt zone on the first frame of SDI, you will be locked out of SDI for like the next frame or two, I think. And that's so important for, it's just so important for certain things. Up here. Is, okay, so do you remember in the Amp Lemon doc when it pauses on the up throw up air by Armada versus Hungrybox in Evo yeah, yeah. 2016? It's like the smallest thing matters. 
yeah. Huggerbox makes that SDI, wins the, wins the tournament, or he doesn't, and he and dies, and that's it. There's a universe where his controller borked out on him, and he he dies. Yes, yes, and I know that uh, it's it's fun to... <laughs> Every now and again, we get we get uh, discourse around the whole idea of Hungrybox not practicing SDR or practicing SDR. Yeah. And like my my version of thinking of it is he'll hit it when he needs to hit it. <laughs> this that there that rise time shortening is so so incredibly powerful, and it and it, it's what make makes the fob feel so snappy and responsive. Because if you ask any player who's tried it, the first thing they're going to say is that like it feels responsive, it feels good to move. And that's because when you're dash dancing around, when you're uh, moving the stick to moving from the center of the stick to the gate, the 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 filter slows down at first and then quickly speeds up. The overall it, the end point is the same, but it's the transfer from center to gate that happens very very quickly that makes it feel better. And so when you are getting lost in the thoughts of all of this. For, for for you, I'm just interested in hearing where you feel this this project can go collectively, but also what your own input on it is going to be in terms of a in, in a, a long term way. Because I'm thinking from your perspective, you fall very far down the rabbit hole of melee, and now you're here. You're still in school, but eventually that'll lead to something else, uh, hopefully a very well-paying career where you can pay off all of your uh, student loans and blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, here's hoping. But like, in you're, you're also coming from a time where you didn't grow up with the game. You just got into it because of a video and just the, wel- the welcomingness of the community, hopefully, was also part of the reason why you stuck around and getting to do all this cool stuff. But I'm just, I feel like... We're, I, for me, I'm just—I have no idea where you go from here because, for for myself, it's always going to be a part of me. I've tried. Well, I've I've occasionally in the past would go out of melee completely because I was never really truly part of the community until the past couple of years. But for a long, long time, I mean, I watched videos in 2006 about melee and and pr- competitive melee, but I never went to a tournament until last year. So that's me. But the point is, is that I always got sucked back in because it's it's partially nostalgia, because of the storylines, because of wanting to play the game myself, all those things. But you, I guess nostalgia is sort of missing for you. That seems to be a really key component for a lot of people. But for you, that might not be the, the case. You can disagree with me, but I'm just curious about like, does this seem like a phase of your life sort of a thing, or does it feel like, no, this will be something that I'll just, you know, like fiddle around with for a really long time? I think that I'll be fiddling around with the fob for, well, with controllers in general for a very, very, very long time. Because from what I've gathered in my time in the fob discord is that this is some, this is something the community has desperately needed for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just a controller board replacement. I mean, an open source project that everyone can contribute to. You know, I've talked a lot about how, you know, Phobos was the original idea guy. I'm a firmware developer. Carvac brought in a massive improvement to the filtering system. But in reality, this project is not done by three people. It's done by a community. We've, we've taken input from everyone. We've taken in help from everyone. So if you look uh, so on, on the overlay there, if you look at the 1.2 board, if you look at where the ABXY buttons are, you see those little squares around uh, the top and the bottom of them? Those little gold squares? Yes. Those are actually mounting pads for mouse click face buttons. 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So this that was the first hardware contribution that was made to the project. So Verge hopped into the FOB Discord, said, hey, I do this mod from time to time where I mount where I mount mouse click face buttons on a controller, but it's a pain to do and it's a lot of delicate soldering work. Is there any way we can engineer the FOB board to make it easier? So, you know, Verge came in, did the measurements uh, and implemented it. And then Phobos accepted that hardware design. And that's where things really, really started to accelerate and started to take a very, very drastic turn. This the, the project left the hands of strictly the developers and went directly into the community. And that's where things have really started to grow and explode. We've gotten help from Rien on controller inputs and stick behavior. We've gotten help from plants for um for thing for for things like uh, a vendor list. We've gotten help with uh, Hunter or Wave for actually getting LR digital pads custom made. So the idea eventually is to remove the need to have a GameCube controller in order to build a fob. So those LR pads are another step in that direction. Um, Plants is actually now helping us source proper Z, uh, Z switches for mouse click Z. Um, to say this is a one man or two man or three man effort would be absolutely incorrect. You know, even you mentioned at the start of this, Hoborg. Hoborg got involved. He, uh, he and Carvac ordered 1.2 boards for testing validation and built them and brought them to a tournament and put them in the hands of players and got test and got test uh, results. This that that's the kind of behavior that I'm really, really, really glad to see that this isn't just a one man or two man or three man job. This is this is done by a community at this point. Where I actually haven't written a lot of code in recent time. It's more so about, you know, how can I like, getting others to contribute? When someone brings in an idea, it's about saying, OK, so how can we turn this into a better design? And that's where things for the FOB have gone, where it's you take an input from the community saying, hey, we want to do X, Y, Z easier. And says, so, sure. So let's talk about that. And that's where the FOB has become this nebulous thing that the community can all contribute to. doesn't matter what controller mod you want to do. The FOB can probably accommodate it. And so that's the challenge, right? I, an open source project, this is when it's operating at a, at a very close to optimal, but I feel like there are just as many open source projects where without strong leadership and sort of a clear vision of what the goal is, things start to fall apart. And so I'm curious from your perspective, why do you think other than, I think I know the obvious answer to this question, but you could say it, why this has been going really well so far. This has been going really, really well so far because we've had very, very involved uh, people. So beyond just the development team being incredibly involved and very talkative and very uh, open and willing to discussing the discord, you have the moderators, you have people who have been here since the very, very beginning, talking about the controller, talking about the behavior and building more of them. So there's there's been a lot of community involvement that makes this work. I think a, a big pitfall of other open source projects is that they're held to a tightly knit team. And the FOB has gone in the opposite direction. Anyone can contribute. And so 
what's the next frontier sort of idea that a lot of people or Phobos himself, however you want to phrase it, is sort of the next thing to take on? Is it continuing to iron out all the kinks and make it so that getting a controller out there to a person who's looking for one faster, is that the next big thing? Or is there another thing where we're like, well, maybe, maybe the D-pad shouldn't suck for once. Uh, you know, like I, I think about the Panda controller and how excited mm-hmm. I was for that to be a reality because I thought this is sort of this is sort of like the realization of so many different concepts. It's going to be what people use for for hopefully not just two months and then scrap it, but use the same controller for two years where they can continually replace parts because of how easy it is to take everything out of that Panda controller and put in new parts. And then they don't have to worry about sourcing new controllers and this, that, and the third. Then it shut down. I was like, oh, but this sounds like it's low key trying to get there, albeit slower. And you know, you don't have, you know, like the backing of like big old company behind it, whatever, whatever. And to be fair, Panda is not big old company status, not Nintendo or anything like that. My gosh. But it's cool to hear that. I think that's part of the part of the push towards the near future. But what would you say is sort of the next goal for the fob controller as of now? I think the ultimate goal of the fob controller is to entirely replace the GCC. To entirely replace the need to because the current way to build a a fob is you start with a GameCube controller. Right. You harvest you harvest parts and you build it. A big goal for the community is to step away from harvesting and needing parts from a GameCube controller. And that's the, the kind of thing that's kind of driving development and driving progress into it. And alongside that, you too you, you do have the um you have the bug fixes and the smoothening out of the issues because there have been a lot of issues and there will continue to be a lot of issues because GameCube controllers are really, really complicated. Super um, complicated. Just watch the awesome sauce video. Yeah. Like I always tell people who are casuals, I'm like, if you want to know why melee players are so particular about their controllers, just watch the awesome sauce video. It's, it's such it a is. good video for that. Yeah. So like, uh, for example, we have Carvac. Um, outside of being a filter and stick behavior to de- stick behavior focused developer, he's also actually honed in on that D pad. So if I, uh, well. I'll send you, I'll send you a, another photo of something that's in development. It's a way to make the D pad more consistent. And by doing so is that it's attaching, uh, SMD style buttons on top of the on top of the uh, the D-pad. So let me just save this. And that already helps because it feels like whenever you press any part of the D-pad, really you're pressing down the whole thing and that's why you yeah. consistently can't get the right thing. Yeah. So Carvac's, uh, Carvac is very, very big on actually adding physical buttons on top of the D-pad, um, on, top of the, on top of the D-pad contacts in order to make inputs more consistent and less flaky. Because the issue with the GameCube D-pad is that it's a, it's it there there's like a central pivot and you're just rolling around. So how do you prevent it from rolling to two contacts at the same time? You add buttons, and that's something that he's been working on, and that's something that he, he's made a point to try on every single board revision and try to modify uh, the the contacts to make it easier to do so. 
that there is a way to make the D-pad easier, make a D-pad better. That's beautiful. There. Another, uh, another example has been uh, Phobos, who has been working on optical triggers. So the, anal the analog sliders in the GameCube controller are still potentiometers. Oh, of course they are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're linear potentiometers. They're not rotational. They're, they're linear, but they're still potentiometers, and they still degrade. So if you've ever had issues where if you let go of your trigger, you still get a little bit of light shield right before it cuts out, that's because you have issues with the slider. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So Phobos has been focused on trying to find a contactless version of the... Uh, analog trigger and the first and his first attempt has been optical sensors which is basically you're just flashing a light source and you have a reflective board and then you try to detect where the um all oh, that in game the controllers. don't throw your what? game controllers you're gonna ruin the optical sensor holy cow this insane yeah. light source yeah. mirroring this that <sighs> the technology frost Yes, we like the end goal. The end goal of the fob is to make a consistent controller that doesn't need like GameCube source parts. Yeah, it doesn't need Nintendo. I heard because that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to be blunt about it, that doesn't need Nintendo because Nintendo aren't going to make GCCs forever. No, they'll we will they we will, will not have them. We will not have them forever. So we are going to need something to replace it with. And the fob board, the fob C stick, the fob um, LR digital pads, and fob sliders are a big jump in that direction. A big jump to getting a controller that the community itself can design. And there's still one major stumbling one major stumbling block that hasn't been resolved yet. And that, that is something that we have actually been super, super hoping Panda can solve for us. The stick box. Stick box. The stick box is the actual white thing here you see that you actually move. Oh, okay. Believe it or not, these things are actually incredibly well designed. It's just that melee players are horrifically abusive to their controllers. Oh, yes. Legendary. Yes. <laughs> But these things are actually incredibly well designed. The tolerances are particularly tight. If you were trying to manufacture this on your own, it would cost tens of thousands of dollars for molds alone to injection mold engineer it or an injection mold uh, manufacture it. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, with tens of thousands of dollars, it's not, nothing to sneeze at. It's not. I mean, so when we saw that uh, Panda was actually re reverse engineering the JP White stick boxes, that's something that could also very, 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 very well contribute because if Panda can supply the community with stick boxes, then we really don't need any more parts from the GameCube controller itself. Because if, you, if you've been around the uh, Cranes Discord and the custom GCC Discord, you already know that people can cast buttons. Right. People can, people can cast shells. Mm hmm People can make replacement detachable cables. We now have the board. We now don't need potentiometers anywhere. Circling, circling on the final, the, only, the, the final grail, thing, the holy grail, if you the will. The holy grail is the stick box. The holy grail is this stick box. Because if you can get something that feels good and fits the profile, that would be absolutely huge. People in the community have spent months trying to 
source this directly from the original uh, manufacturer because you know Nintendo doesn't make this themselves. Oh, of course, yeah, they rely they, on uh, companies to do that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah, and that's actually what Kadano has done. So Kadano actually contacted um, the original manufacturers and managed to quietly source analog analog trigger sliders. So you can actually buy brand new ones directly from Kadano. Oh, interesting. And also deodorant, right? Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. Sorry. I want to try the deodorant. <laughs> I, I've heard very good things about it. I've heard incredible things about it. I want to try the deodorant. <laughs> and yeah. so if the if this is if this is the last thing that is uh hard and or impossible to do, the the stick box, when that happens, it's almost as if it'll sort of be just it'll it'll lead down the line years down the line if i had to guess to where you say this is the controller that the community has legitimately built on its own we now have all the sources we need to get every single part that you see in this thing and here it is you can buy it for however much money doesn't i don't care you can make it as expensive as or as cheap as you want that doesn't matter to me but the point is, is that it's accessible and you can get it soon as compared to right now which is you wait for a box for a long time or build one yourself you do the controller lottery or you commission someone to do and it doesn't matter if it's a goon wave or this that mm -hmm. and the third you still have to wait it's 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 expensive all this all this stuff but another thing that was really appealing for panda was oh i just go here and i press click and then i'll get it allegedly at this time even if it was a Kickstarter, I was like saying, okay, I'm just waiting for yeah. December of 2022. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Didn't work out, but the, the, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm really excited about, that in the future, when you tell somebody who's never heard of Melee before, this is what you want to watch, and when you get into it and you love the game that's like nearly 50 years old or however long this is down the line, now I can tell you where to get the controller for the, the yeah. game that you want to have. And it's not, a, it's a not controller that's a insanely controller that hard to works, find. A, a controller that works and is consistent. Consistent. This is this is the big thing that draws people to projects like the FOB and Goomwave, because GameCube controllers are inherently inconsistent, and boxes are consistent. That doesn't make boxes broken. It just it just it's an advantage of the box. In fact, here is my one hot take of the episode. Okay. A perfectly hand-picked Goldilocks GameCube controller is better than a box. I want to hear this. Yes. A, a perfectly hand-picked GameCube controller with no poet on the Y-axis and slight poet on the X-axis can and will be better than any digital rectangle for a, for a wide number of reasons. Because number one, it will pivot very, very, very well. I've seen a Goldilocks controller that pivots better than the FOB does now. Number two, you have your wide select. You have a wide selection of wave dash angles that are not absolutely restricted. Number three, you got you got those pivot tilts that are actually mm. locked out of the box. And lastly, but not uh, not least, is you have single input ledge dashes which are when you move down and you get the fast fall and then you can air dodge in that same angle in one analog stick motion. Oh my gosh. What? Yeah, this is, 
Yeah, so uh, I have a controller right here. So if you just try to do a, a ledge dash, most people push down and in or C-stick down and in or back and down and in to wave dash, right? So on the Goldilocks controllers, you can actually push just straight down and in and your character will drop ledge and then you can just hit jump and air dodge with the same analog input and you'll get an, and you'll get a ledge dash. Ooh, that's nice. That that behavior is really, really nice, really, really smooth, really, really desirable. If you ever ask about a good ledge dashing controller, that's what that is. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And, that's that, just... and a Goldilocks controller can do that. And that's why I'm like, I'm just, I, you know, you could, you've said a lot of really intelligent things. So obviously I'm inclined to believe you just right off the bat. But yeah, there are certain things about the box that for me as a novice player, I've only played on this thing a few times. I'm like, <laughs> why is there no up button on the left side? This is so weird. I, I'm, I get it. Cool. It's on my right pinky finger. That's great. Why is there no up button on the left side of this stupid thing? So like, that's my current gripe with the, with the box yeah. that I'll get over at some point. But like, you know what I mean? Like there, there, there are probably more complicated reasons like being locked out of being able to do pivot tilts and then there are I mean, there are other things I'm sure that the box are just like ultimately the control that an analog stick can give you like greater access to because angles angles and you don't really think about when you're drifting in the air about how you're either drifting at full speed or at walk speed or or slow walk speed but for some of the things that you want to do in melee where there's like, you know, super little cool niche things like drifting back at the absolute last second, this, that, and the third, or Captain Falcons who are learning how to double jump and correctly double jump at the right time and drift at the right time to, you can't get hit by a lot of attacks if you do it correctly where you're sort of like, you're almost too low, but you still grab the ledge. If you if you do that perfectly, then you're a Captain Falcon player to be reckoned with because you can't just get down smashed by something or down tilted by something, something cheap. Like the person actually has to develop more yeah. stra counter strategies. It's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. But the thing is that Goldilocks controller will only last at most a month. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the issue. So to me, I've slowly over time developed the opinion that GameCube controller is just pure sheer. The best GameCube controller is better than a box. But then you have that issue where the box is better than the GameCube controller everywhere else. And this is where you start to get to balance issues. This is where you start to get to rules. And this is something that the FOB team has been actively working on. So me, Carvac, and uh, Phobos have been in discussion with the big, uh, what do you call like the big five rule makers on what, what's legal and what's good, what's bad, what's legal, what's not legal. Because uh, ultimately... Uh, the big five. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have a game controller that is just busted and gives you everything for free. You know, we can't make the game easier exclusively. Oh, things mean. have to be things have to be within reason things have to be balanced and things have to have drawbacks okay okay so this is where this is where like a lot of the discussion has taken place and a lot of the uh of uh of back and forth has gone on so we've just sat down with them and multiple times uh talked about our features we've explained that we've shown code we've shown exactly how it behaves in comparison to other things 
And this is something that is really, really important because should we preserve that Goldilocks GameCube controller on the FOB? Because the FOB doesn't wear out. It, so when a controller doesn't wear out, do you want to preserve that one in a billion controller lottery controller? And uh, is, it, is it fair to do so? Uh, uh, there are so many reasons. Okay, let me just give you one good reason. Uh, if you make it so that everyone who wants it can get it, what's the problem with having a controller that does everything well? Oh my gosh. Yes, we're going to have to code in code to a Halifax sensor magnetic fob controller. Are you kidding me? No. We've done it. We've done it. I am not in favor of this as a podcaster who very few people listen to. That's, I'm not down with that. Oh my God. That's that's the issue. Because you program poding into a box controller. What's what's the problem? Um, that's unbelievable. It's just you know, if someone wants to play with a box, we have to make sure that the GCC isn't exclusively better. Okay. There has, there has to be balance. To me, that's what I think. I know that's not an opinion that others share, but to me, having that balance is important. You have to make sure that no matter what someone is playing on, it's fair and reasonable. Mm -hmm. a, a, a guitar a guitar here controller is not fair and reasonable and does need to be balanced against but a box something that is actually in the hands of thousands of players and something that has been in their hands for what five years now that's something that needs to be taken consideration on how it's balanced and this is something where i'm very very grateful to the big five and the rule set team who have taken their time to sit down with us and talk behavior and talk what's good and what's bad but as of right now, you said it earlier, if the box controller, the rectangle style fellas have an inherent advantage over 98 or 99% of all GCC controllers right now, as it stands, if, if, if you, if you balance that where you could say nearly every single GCC user eventually gets their, gets their Goldilocks controller, I don't. I, even still, that process would take such a long time. I don't. Uh, I guess I don't understand the concept of well, right now as it stands, things are even, but that's not true. Things are not even right now. As soon as someone who's using a box style controller starts winning tournaments, that's probably when a lot of things will change. But uh, as it stands right now, most people agree that the standard GCC controller does not and will not keep up with a box style controller, no. and so we want to preserve that because that's sort of what i'm hearing but i don't am i hearing that wrong because that's kind of what i'm gathering from the whole idea this, of how do we limit the fob controller the, the, the thing is that we can't really nerf the box any more than we really have now without fundamentally breaking how it works hmm. like i've i've actually had a chance to talk to a lot of geo to a lot of uh, box players including carvac one of the main developers of the fob plays on box oh that's interesting and there is a lot that breaks if you try to nerf the box. So rather than try to nerf the box, why don't you buff the GCC? Yes, yes. See, and that's what I'm on board with. Yes. And this, and this is where the FOB starts to come in. Yes. So the goal of the FOB is to provide you with a consistent controller that never wears out. Right. And that's already a, that's already a huge buff in its own because that means that you can play on this controller for two years and the behavior ideally is should stay the same we haven't actually had a fob that's two years old to show for that right i actually have one of the oldest here the 1.0 that's five that's six months old now 
Right. And it still behaves perfectly. Mm -hmm. then that's, that's, already a huge, that's already a huge buff in its own. Yeah, like, imagine I'm, a controller that you to replace. And now let's talk about how we can buff it further. So, Melee is inherently an imperfect game. There is polling shenanigans. Uh, to explain that, it's simply because the game pulls the controller twice per frame, but it's only showing like the visual once per frame. Yeah. So you run into polling issues where if you're pulled, if your analog stick is pulled in a bad zone, then you might just get screwed over. Right, and you don't even and, realize it. Yeah. So this is where we wrap around back to the signal filtering. The, 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 the fob already you know, pivots incredibly well, given you, given you build it right. And that's something that a lot of players are looking after. Very, very clean, very, very consistent pivots. On, these, on the uh, tools that we have to analyze pivot behavior, I've gotten 95% consistency. The question then uh, starts to become is, you know, do we add layers to this? So it already pivots cleanly. It already dashes back cleanly. And one of the features that I've been massively discussing about is those down plus in ledge dashes. Do we want that as a permanent buff? Oh, so you're basically just saying, where do we draw the line? How far do we go with buffing? Because I was like, why are yeah. we not buffing the GCC through the fob to it's be close to? It's already to buffed. It's already, the, 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 the fob is already a massive GCC buff simply because it's a controller that never wears out and something that you're used to. Right. And we've already, now we've gone further by giving it a somewhat idealized behavior. Giving it idealized stick, uh, pivot behavior, idealized dash, dashback behavior. Where do we you know, start to draw that line of enough is enough? And unfortunately, it's, it's sort of a balancing game at this point because the FOB is open source. Anyone who is anyone can take the, the firmware we've written and build on it and write their own version. So ideally, we're, we're, we're kind of in the zone where it's, where do we draw the line of someone going out of their way and potentially building something that could be more controversial? Right, it's their fob, but they've done some rather interesting things. You know, yeah, and macros. this starts, oh no, that kind of and stuff. This, and, and this enters uh, one last point, because I see that we're running close to time. But this enters one last point that I do want to bring up that a lot of people have expressed concerns about. The FOB is open source. Anyone can edit the source code. What about legality? Isn't this a massive Pandora's box? Uh, and you already know what a Pandora's box looks like in the Melee community. It's called the box yep. controller. <laughs> yep. And, um, uh. and ultimately, the, the reply I have to that is... Pandora's box is already open. TOs don't exactly do controller checks at every single event. No. If, if someone wants to sneak in, uh, some, actually, very, 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 very recently, we've had a visible post on the SSBM subreddit where someone, yeah. was, someone was using a Dween controller for years. <laughs> uh, years. The reality of the situation is that Pandora's box is already open and people are already doing whatever they want with their controllers and there's already limited oversight. The goal of the FOB is to sort of take that and try to centralize it at least a little bit. If everyone's running the same FOB firmware, then you have a good idea of what everyone's running.
and you have a good idea of whether or not it's legal. Do you see where I'm going with that? To basically saying it's open source, but also kind of like... It's good enough that no one is that, that no one's going to bother making their own. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even despite the fact that you can sort of copy paste and then start tweaking it, it's just sort of like, well, why would I do that? It's why, already why done. would you do that? Yeah. We are we already the 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 firmware team in the community has already gone out of its way to do the job for you. Why build on that? Gotcha. Well And and even and even even if you do are interested in doing that, why not just contribute to the project directly? Oh, especially since because everybody's super open and inviting, the Discord yeah. be popping off, all that fun stuff. Oh yeah, like j just today, like people have been in the VC talking, discussing how to source this, what to change. There is a lot of movement in controllers right now, and we're entering the era that I like to call the era of monster controllers. People are talking about mouse click face buttons, mouse mm -hmm. click triggers, mouse click Z, you know, tactile this, slick box that. We're in an era where things are pretty, pretty out there as far as what you can get in a controller. And I think like a project like the FOB can help to help to like combine all that into one package. Because we already have support for the, uh, the face buttons. The mouse click Z, if, uh, if it needs a different footprint, you can just edit the PCB layout. You can just edit the board layout. And for the triggers, we can make our own pads. got to do is master the stick box. Find a way to make that sourceable. Yeah. And it's and then it's just then it's just a matter of the right people coming along and saying, yeah, I'm kind of a whale. I'm gonna gonna try to make some of these appear and then be obtained by the yeah. by the community. That's kind of, that would be super cool. Yeah. I I'm in agreement with you with how the Pandora's box is already open. I like the idea of us continuing to push this until it arrives to a spot where it's more universalized that idea that you're talking about earlier because yeah. because right now yes it is a little bit it is a little bit of the wild wild west but we're all going to look back back on this era fondly and be, remember yeah. when we were just not sure exactly where it was all going that that was those are fun times cuz i feel I, mean, I do feel like all you got to do is just stick with it and then with since since melee has this so, uh, the, the community just composes itself in, in such a way that you can't you can't get away with with murder. The the person who wrote that subreddit admitted that they didn't necessarily try to go to super majors and take over brackets with that Arduino. So I I, I would just say that as long as somebody looked at JMoo's controller ever since he popped off at Genesis Eight and there was it was not an Arduino controller, I think we're good. I think we're yeah. good. And the idea of the FOB is to sort of give you a central hub so that any feature you want, it's already it's already in the firmware. We've 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 taken in ideas and we've taken in everything from the community. Yep, there are there are no stones unturned. That's super cool. There are, there are no stones unturned on triggers too. We have so many different trigger modes. So in the current firmware, you only have three, but there's already another two in development. So right now, you can have the normal behavior. You can have it set so that it's digital only, so you only get that bottom out. Right. You have the you have the analog only, which which means there's no digital at the bottom, which is actually very very good for soft L canceling. So you can still tech while L canceling. 
oh, a that's box what, only feature. Right. That that that's what they say about doing Z canceling because that's sort of yeah. the same deal, right? Yeah, but being able to just soft L cancel whilst also while still being able to do LRAS. Because if you do that mod on an OEM controller, you lose the ability to do LRA start. <laughs> of course you do. Oh, I love well, Melee. <laughs> well, it's true. It, no, because if you fundamentally change the controller, you make it so you can't enter a digital R input, you can't quit out of the game. Right. You got to so, actually play your 99 stock it, game. Yeah, it, pres it, it preserves that. And then, you know, we have, we have question mark Yoshi triggers, you know. Or being able to select light shield values for the digital input. People have making suggestions, and the team and the community have just been adding and adding and adding and adding. And I think we'll see this project grow and blossom into something, you know, really, really beautiful. Something that the community can be proud of is that people from all walks of life have contributed. And I'm really glad to hear that it captured somebody like you, one of the one of the Generation Z people who we all look at and go, well, are they are they going to stick around with Melee? And it's fun to hear how you're definitely too deep in the sauce to get out anytime soon. And too deep. For, <laughs> and for for all the work that's being done, how it is much more of a community led project at this point than it is specifically burdening on one or two people. Because I feel bad for Fizzy. Slippy is more or less helmed by himself. Now he has help. I have to assume that to be the case, but it's still mostly Fizzy as far as I know. Yeah. So that to that's me... A that's, a, that's a lot to shoulder for Fizzy. Yes, yes. And so if the controller answer or the controller... Uh, not not ultimate. Uh, what's the word that I want here? If the controller end game is the FOB controller, it'll get there because it's not just one or two people working on it behind the scenes. It's something that we can all see and partic participate yeah. in if we want to. My version of participating is being like, when can I buy one? Because uh, I have, have never been brave enough to take apart my controllers before, but yeah, maybe I will at some you're point in the, the near future. You're not the only one. I've walked some people through teardowns. <laughs> We'll get there at some point and maybe next yeah. time for uh if i ever get a fob maybe we can uh get you back on or somebody else maybe hoborg somebody to help me tear it apart and show me all the little cool things that are going on down the line yeah. but in the meantime i do want to get to a few patreon questions before we get you going here frost this is these are all from oats uh, and i uh, also goes also goes by marso or marco the the What's the word that I want here? Editor-in-chief of the major zine, which is super cool. Uh, so we talked about where the idea of the FOB controller come from, uh, where the biggest obstacles encountered while trying to navigate the GCC motherboard. We talked about some of that stuff. Who are your community inspirations, Frost? Community inspirations? Um, within what scope? I'm going to ask. Like, when You're you going to have to say Phobos. Otherwise, that's just like, what was the whole point of talking about joining in this project if, if it wasn't for Phobos I mean, yeah. being so cool I mean, about yeah. it. I mean, yeah, if it wasn't for Phobos being so open and willing to just, like, share what he has and what he has done, the project would have never gotten off the ground. I mean, I reached out to him, like, early January, uh, like, two hours after he posted a Reddit. I, I searched all across Discord, and I found him, and I DM'd him, and he was super willing and super open. He shared it with me. He, 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 um, he helped me order all the parts. He walked me through some troubleshooting because if you look on the back of uh, this 1.0, there is a wire under the rumble bracket. And that's because of a little technical flaw that I made in assembly. 
he helped me uh, through that and he helped me debug it and finally get this board fully working. Mm. You know, he's he's been really really chill and really really um awesome about it. Yeah, uh, so but in the in the terms of a community inspiration, so somebody from the melee community. Mm-hmm. So someone from the melee community that like really really inspired me it has to be PPMD. I, I know that. that's kind. I, I know that's kind of a cliche question, but PPMD actually was super, super interested in the FOB GCC early on, and he actually acquired one from the FOB team to play on. And I've had interactions with him, and it's just and it's it's been so incredibly wholesome, so incredibly awesome, and just energetic. And he's exactly as uh, I'd imagined from watching. Uh, from watching Apex 2015 and watching all of the uh, other videos he ended up producing. It was super, super exciting to actually get to meet someone I looked up to. Let's get this person on Radio Melee. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Just saying. You could do that, you know. (laughs) Someday, someday, someday. Let's cross our fingers. You have the experience now. You already know how to throw out hot takes. That's super cool. Is there a passion project that you're a fan of that you think more people should pay attention to, Frost? Um, is there a pa- um, yes, in fact, there is a passion project that I do think more people need to pay attention to, and that has to be the melee decompilation project. So it's something that I recently got into, but there's actually a group of people who are trying to effectively, you know, decompile melee's source code, and I think that needs every single ounce of attention as it, uh, that it can get, because this will advance our understanding of the game a hundredfold. Because having access to its direct source code means we can look at um, we can look at exact behavior, we can look at physics, we can look at interactions at a level that we never have been before. Right now, you know, we can look at hitboxes, we can look at ECBs, we can look at everything from an outside perspective. But having access to the exact code will allow us to double check and be a hundred percent certain in everything we say and everything we double check about the game. That's gigantic, super- gigantic shout out to them. And if you're familiar with the Super Mario 64 uh, decompilation project, the amount of uh, mods that resulted from that and the amount of uh, extra benefits and features that resulted from that are insane. This is something that we could potentially see that melee being recompiled to run on your computer directly without an emulator. Mm. Among yeah. other things. I mean, uh, I think about, I think about like Dashback. We don't have to worry about dashback. Poor priority. We don't really need to worry about poor priority. We, can, we, we, we could fix it. We could. We we could fix that. Theoretically, theoretically, yeah. it's all theoretically. possible when you have the source code. And I heard about that yeah. a little while ago, and I was like, this is probably going to be one of those behind the scenes things for a while until they make more progress. I think I'm part of that Discord though. I just forget what the yeah. GC decompilation. Like. It's the it's the GameCube logo. It's the cube. Uh, yes, yep, there I am. Oh, look at this. Look at all these channels. I don't think these were all here when I was last poking around. Okay, let's these go. Guys, these guys are absolutely incredible, and these guys need like more attention for the work they're doing because the moment we have access to like Melee's source code is the moment things change forever. So here's hoping that also happens sometime uh, in the future, especially you know before 2051 or something. And let's see, I got a few more here and then we can get you going. What are your predictions for the next? Oh, we actually did talk about the next hardware jump upgrades, that kind of thing. And then 
what does this mean? Custom melee specific consoles similar to the analog pocket. I don't know what an oh, analog pocket okay. is. Um, I actually I know what that is. So the idea behind the analog devices is that you basically take what's called an FPGA or a field programmable gate array. You can think of it as a microcontroller that you can rewire on the fly to fit different pieces of hardware. What this question is about is, would we ever see something like that for the Nintendo Wii that could potentially run Melee so that we could even replace the Wii itself? Oh. This, is, this, this is replacing the actual console. Gosh. <laughs> if you can run it on the computer, theoretically, because, you know, uh, Melee, we got Melee source code at some point. Melee oh my source gosh. code or if they're Dolphin, we can already do a decent job of that. But what they're asking about is, is not an emulation or not a recompilation but actually being able to put a disc in a non-Nintendo console and have it just boot straight to Melee. I mean, that'd be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool, but I have a couple of doubts in that because just because the massive jumps in complexity. We've seen Analog NT tackle uh, NES, SNES, the Game Boy, um, the Sega Genesis of the Game Boy Advance and similar consoles. Um, I'm not 100% sure if, uh, if they've done the 64 yet. But obviously, the newer you get, the more information, the more code, the more everything. It just... The more complexity. Yes. The more complexity and the more cost. Yep. Because right now, I think the, the, uh, the, I know like the analog Super Nintendo launched for like $400. Well. <laughs> yeah. And... And its ultimate competition, at least for Melee, would be Wii's, which, you know, Nintendo made over 100 million of those things, and they're super, super easy and super, super cheap to find. I mean, if you go on eBay, you'd look for a Wii that has a broken disk drive, you can buy it, and then you just soft mod it and you run Melee. Yep, for like 20 bucks. Yep. Uh, until, until we see more Wii's start to die out and it start to become a bigger problem, I don't think we're going to tackle that yet. Because until as as long as the Wii's we have survive, I don't think we'll see anything similar to the analog pocket or the analog NT. But that is cool yeah. to see that or to hear about someone who's saying, let's let's just, you know, make more of these. We don't need to yeah. wait for somebody to release a or release a classic yeah. version and then only make like twenty of them because they want exclusivity or releasing a game for 12 months and then pulling it back away when it's just yeah. basically like copy and pasted emulation <laughs> that doesn't do any sort of modernization. Yeah. But meanwhile, yeah. in the Melee community where, you know, uh, it's, it's not the newest Smash game, but see, it's crazy because like there is literally a big group of people who are striving to make the perfect controller and it's going to be awesome. And it's taken years and years of playing around with different things and advancing the meta. And now we're at this spot. So you should really check out, uh, I recommend the Smash documentary if you want to watch uh, maybe perhaps the emblem. Oh my gosh, the elevator pitch continues to evolve as well. I, I got nothing left for you for tonight, Frost. We have gone over our time and I really appreciate you being willing to stick around. I hope that I didn't take up too, too, too much. Um, to, to finish, though, please tell the people where they can find you and find the project for the FOB controller, or if you also want to make sure that the source code group... Oh, man, I forgot the name of the project. Dang it. Uh, the, uh, the Wii Decompilation Project, the GameCube yeah. Decompilation Project. 
So you can so you can find me at uh, my Twitter Frost SSBM. Mm-hmm. You can find the project on uh, GitHub, which is just if you just go on Git, if you just go on GitHub and look up the FOB GCC, you'll see the organization for it, which contains the repositories for the hardware, the software, and the tool. Um, from there, you can get links directly to the Discord. Uh, or if you want to go the YouTube route, I made the trailer for the FOB GCC. At the bottom there, there are links to the GitHub and the Discord community um, to reach out to the uh, GCC Wii decompilation project. Uh, my best my, my best point would be to Reddit, because right now there's I, that's what I did. There's no really good public way to find it outside of Reddit. Yeah, a few links from you for the people for the clicking on the description of the podcast or the sure. video would be super, super cool. Uh, the Discord the Discord invite link into the server for the FOB GC, sorry, the FOB GCC, is that uh, a permanent invite or is that like a limited time invite link? That is a permanent invite. Okay, very good. Well, that'll get you in the right direction. I, I can get that and your Twitter and... Mm-hmm. Maybe a video to the trailer in case all these lovely visuals have been uh, not been enough for you already. I'm super excited to see where this project goes. Frost, it's so cool that within a matter of about, it, sa- it sounds like within a year you've gone from, you know, kind of messing around doing, doing the normal, I like melee stuff to just like, I am now evolved. I'm like level 100 over here. I'm speaking as you, Frosty. I am just just casually changing how Melee is going to be played for the next 50 years. So let's go. I'm excited to see where this goes. And Frost, thank you yeah. so much for your time. Thank you for being on Bottom of the Smash Mountain with me. All right. It was nice being on here. And yeah, I, I really want to see where things go for Melee in general. Where, the, where will the meta be in 10 years?